is sponsored by the Professional Association of Canine Trainers, affectionately known as PACT. On Sunday the 16th of October, PACT are hosting the Connecting Communities Conference. It's at the University of Winchester and there is an amazing lineup of speakers. The conference is in person so you get to meet real people in the world. It's also accessible. The talks are going to be short, snappy and interactive. There'll be lunch and wine, stands to look at and activities throughout the day. It's going to be a great day for all dog enthusiasts and you don't have to be a packed member to come. You can secure your place for just 20 quid. Find out more information on the Facebook page or on the website www.packed-dogs.com. Welcome to the award-winning Canine Hoopers World podcast. Everyone's invited. Hello, everybody, and welcome to season three, episode 25 of Canine Hoopers World podcast. Now, I'm really, really excited about this one today. This is um, it's a passion subject for me. Um, Obviously, with Dodge and all the listeners have been following Dodge's journey, so they know about him having the hip dysplasia and arthritis and all the rest of it. Um, but today, I am very, very fortunate to be joined by the fabulous Hannah from CAM. Hannah, how are you? I'm good. Thank you very much for having me. It's a real pleasure. Oh, no, thank you. Honestly, thank you so much for joining me. I know that you are super, super busy. So for people that don't know you, who are you? What do you do? <laughs> Um, so I'm a first opinion practitioner and I started a online organization called canine arthritis management back in 2016 um, because I'd been a vet for around about 12 years by that point and had grown very tired of how little was talked about a leading cause of euthanasia and um I very boldly decided to take it upon myself to start um, publicly educating people. It was a bit of a wild move when I look back. It was a bit, it's almost a bit arrogant to be fair. But um, I love it. <laughs> I just, I, I just was very frustrated, and it started off as a mobile home service where I'd leave the confines of a vet practice, and I started seeing people in their own homes and bringing together what we call the multimodal management, which we'll talk about later. Mm-hmm results I was getting were just ridiculously good they were just ridiculously good and I felt really strongly that I didn't need to be speaking to just one person how could I present this information to lots of owners around the world that could also benefit from it so I started a Facebook page and that grew really quickly and then I decided okay well I'll write a website and so I was very dedicated. I used to get up about three o'clock in the morning and write it before work. And then about six months to write in total. And um, that got launched and that did pretty well. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just kind of grown since then. But I guess there's been a consistent driver where there's still a lot of apathy, a lot of misunderstanding, a lot of misinformation, mm-hmm. real need, a real need. And I'm really proud to say that when I was... <laughs> arrogant with my 
fingers as apostrophes <laughs> about it being a welfare concern. There was actually nothing in the literature to suggest that it was. No one had actually made that claim before. And um, I was, certainly wasn't the person to be doing that. But in 2018, Bet Compass, which is a epidemiology kind of like overview organization, which is a, a subset of the Royal Vet College, who taps into practices in and around the UK, looking at what we see, how bad it is, you know, how common it is. They um, labeled osteoarthritis as a welfare concern. And I was like, yes, because we all knew it, but no one was talking about it. Mm -hmm. So those common things that we see in practice, it leads to the longest amount of suffering and to the most extreme amount of suffering. So fulfilling these categories means that it is something that we should all be doing so much more for and um it's been like a little bit more of a whirlwind since then you know suddenly as soon as it's on paper people are like right let's do something about it so in the last few years I think we've seen some great changes and there's more changes to be seen so the work continues but um yeah it's it's definitely my passion project yeah no and I mean honestly your the the Facebook group and the website were a brilliant resource for me um, with my um, blessed little Tizer, who's no longer with us, but he had a whole list of list of ailments and arthritis was one of them. But even just things like making changes around the house, we had lovely laminate flooring everywhere. So we put rugs down and runners down so that he wasn't having to, you know, walk on slippery floors when he didn't need to. When we were putting new flooring in, we were very mindful to pick things that were textured rather than just shiny surfaces that were easy to clean and it was amazing how just little changes like that that I might not necessarily have thought of actually really really helped him but then when I got the young German shepherd in my house that was obviously all legs and no understanding of where they were attached and to be honest the back end's not brilliantly attached anyway um, I'm actually glad that we already had that stuff in place because I feel that having kind of procedures within the house of, you know, making sure they were mindful of jumping up, having steps to get on sofas, things like that, actually helped dodge kind of, although the prognosis was late with his hip dysplasia, I mean, not massively late, but I feel that if we kind of hadn't put those things into action, his hip dysplasia would have been very obvious much earlier on rather than it being a case of me taking him to get checked just in case and then oh yeah you might need a hip replacement um i think, I think you've hit on something that's really a, a really big problem uh -huh. and, and I'm, I'm really quite happy because i've been i've been very emotional recently because um cam's, cam's hard it's really hard it's yeah. now me into a realm it's not a hobby anymore it's a freaking huge costly organization that costs about 70 grand a year to to run wow yeah and we've got we've got people that work freelance for us because the skill base has to go up you know we turn yeah. charity so there's a huge amount of work and um sometimes I get a bit emotional and um this morning I was chatting to the blue cross about collaborating much more because we want to get in with the big charities and influence the rehoming of these dogs that might already have ailments or um, young dogs with early signs that they're going to develop OA or even young dogs that we just don't want them to be put in a position where they damage their joints which will lead to osteoarthritis yeah you were saying exactly the same as what you were just saying of 
she'd never really considered the game changes because they're not presented as a big part of the management plan. You know, the drugs are and the supplements are, and they get so much limelight mm-hmm. overlook the really simple things that you could do immediately. Like my, one of the things I love saying to people is, got a dining room, you got, if you've got a rug under your table and chairs in your dining room that you never use, the room never gets used and the rug never gets used. And they're like, yeah, I'm like, move it. Put it somewhere it's useful. And they're like, oh yeah, so simple. And you're like, it's things like that that really do make a massive difference. Mm-hmm. Uh, back to the NICE guidelines for human management of OA, osteoarthritis. Um, they talk about lifestyle. It's way up there. Lifestyle, exercise, weight management, they are the game changers to managing this disease. And yeah, we've got some really cool science coming our way. Um, and I'm going to be a complete cynic and a skeptic here, but a lot of things that make money are highly publicized, where things that don't necessarily make money aren't highly publicized. And I think you can support me on this, that the things that you did at home, you could see were of great benefit but no one's going to be making any money out of that, are they? <laughs> well, only the company that I went and bought the runners from. Do you know what I mean? And I yeah. think maybe these carpet companies are missing a trick here and they should start marketing to the... Veterinary approved and clinically, clinically yeah. supportive. Yeah, totally agree. Totally agree. But um, no, it's, that's, that's just something that I really wanted to get across because most people that have a dog have a dog because they love it. Mm-hmm. And they want that dog to be happy and comfortable mm. as possible. We want our dogs to live to 17, 18, 20 years old if we could do. You know, we'd love them to be forever. But um, so there's a lot of people with different price points in their life. You know, I have people that are insuring their dogs for 14 grand per condition per year, all the way to somebody like this morning whose dog had a splenic bleed and there wasn't any money in the pot. That that, that was euthanasia. And then... Oh, wow play with and I wanted to create something that it didn't matter what your background financial status was you mm-hmm. could do the best for your dog and I wanted people to realize that if you could only but afford to put some rugs down and get the weight off your dog and buy a, like a little support harness or even just sew a handle into the support harness or stop them jumping on and off the sofa and doing the stairs that is going to have a massive impact on their pain so yeah that's quite important to me yeah, no, massively. And and it does make a difference. I mean, we always used to joke that there was literally a route from the sofa through the kind of kitchen area to the back door that was just a series of rugs. It was like you could have the best game of the floor is lava in our house because yes. you could literally get everywhere without having to touch the floor once. And we've always kept it like that. You know, even now um, we're in a new house. We're in the middle of building works. The kitchen floor is not ideal. We've got big rubber runner rugs which aren't pretty they're not wonderful but it stops the dogs from slipping when they're getting in and out of stuff like you know when they're coming in and out of the main areas because obviously yes I know that Dodge has the diagnosis of the HD but all of my girls are in double figures now so I want to keep make sure that we're keeping them fit and active and healthy and it's it amazes me though the other end of the spectrum of puppies how many times I see puppies on slippery flooring and I'm like, no, no, please don't. And I've seen videos and videos online of people throwing balls along the kitchen floor for Mm. their puppies to chase. And I'm like, oh, I don't want to be a buzzkill. But also 
I don't want your dog to be broken by the time they're three. Mm. Yeah, and this is, I think we have, first of all, clarify that the scientific supportive evidence that exposing a young dog to a slippery floor is not there, okay? Mm -hmm. This is all done on logic and translation from human work. Um, and, and, and a huge amount of like case studies in people's kind of personal experiences. Yeah. So if anybody kind of steps in and goes, where's the scientific proof? There really isn't very much. Um, there's one study in a cohort of boxer puppies that they looked at 1,733 boxers of a similar kind of like genetic line. And they definitely found there was one, I think it was 1.6 times more likely to develop hip dysplasia if they'd been whelped on a slippery um, floor on a box. So there's got that kind of study. And then there's another study that looked at um, dogs that are more prone to developing hip dysplasia in certain months of the year that they were born because they were more likely to be outside. So therefore they're more surface and there's been some scope at looking at whether exposure to stairs between a key period like 12 weeks to six months is going to have an influence and but the data is weak it's really weak because no one's put any any time into researching it it's really hard to research you know mm. you're looking at doing lifetime studies which are studies that are going to go on for 15 years who can afford this yeah um, trying to actually get scientific proof that exposing your dog to um, non-supportive environments at an early age in their life is gonna it's gonna be tough. But come on, guys, there's um there's this really funny phrase where when do you need evidence to support a statement? Throwing yourself out of a hot air balloon without a parachute is likely to lead to death. Do we need to prove it? You know? <laughs> and um just sometimes you think to yourself okay I know we're really evidence and I'm I'm really strong yeah. belief that if if there an intervention is stating that it has such and such benefit prove it mm -hmm. there are some things especially if they don't cost if they're general advice I think what's the harm you know yeah I, I totally a hundred percent would you know put my life against the statement that keeping your dog of the right weights with moderated exercise for which they're conditioned to perform and in an environment where they are not likely to keep injuring themselves is going to lead to longevity mm -hmm. exactly that and I think this I mean I, I know you guys have promoted hoopers within the group but it was one of the really big draws for me with hoopers is that it's such kind of, it's a low impact sport in the aspect of the dogs are basically just running around obstacles. You know, there's no jumping, there's no landing, there's no contacts, there's no tight turns, there's no spinning, there's definitely no sudden stops in it. Whereas when we look at other dog sports, you know, we know they are higher impact. The dogs do need to be conditioned properly to do it. They need to be trained to do it properly, you know. People see a dog jumping and go, oh, well, the dogs are just going over jumps. They don't understand the time and effort that is taken into training a dog to jump correctly. It's not just a case of them clearing a certain height. They need to be trained to jump properly, to hold themselves properly, to have the muscle to support them holding themselves properly. And for me, one of the things I love so much about Hoopers is that I've had, I mean, my boy started... I rehomed him at 17 weeks and I think 18 weeks he walked through his first hoop. Mm 
Yay. It was literally, he was like, oh, we go through hoops and round barrels. And it was just proprioception, puppy stuff at that stage. You know, it was just mm. learning. But the other end of it, you know, I've had dogs to like come to little have a go rings when we've been at shows and stuff. There have been 15, 16 that haven't been able to have a go at other stuff, but they've been able to come and have a little go yeah. at hoopers. And they can trot around. And actually some organizations now are using baseless hoops, which don't even have a bar on the floor. So yeah. there's even less risk for the dogs. You know, yeah. it's literally just they have to pass through the two posts around the barrels, through the tunnel, etc. And I I honestly think that with the hoopers training and the conditioning stuff Dodge has done in order to be a competitive hoopers dog it's kind of helped prevent us having to go down the surgical route yet. And I do say yet because he's only, he's going to be three when this comes out, you know, he's got years and years ahead of him. And it may be when he gets to eight, nine, 10, we may need to think about, do we need to, does he need a new hip now? But I'm going to keep him as muscled and as in good condition as I can for as long as I can. And I'm fortunate that our chosen sport kind of helps that happen yeah, yeah yeah absolutely and um you're right there's so many variables in just what you were saying and that there's a there's a strong possibility you won't need to go to surgery you know hip dysplasia is a is a huge broad diagnosis we mm-hmm. can have very mild hip dysplasia in a biomechanical sense in that the ball and socket is only just out of sync all the way through to a completely subluxated hip where the hip is free floating there is no socket there it's like a a shallow saucer but even amongst that we've got different degrees of pain perception and they have dogs that have got significant hip dysplasia that get on with life it's their 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 perception of the pain that is being caused by those hips being you know more lax Mm -hmm as bad as you expect when you can have dogs that have got quite well seated hips mild subluxation and they're in agony so there's so many variables that you have to kind of treat the individual and a a diagnosis of hip dysplasia is definitely not a death sentence um and all you can but do is stick to the, the really solid principles which you've mentioned which is weight control appropriate exercise and maintaining muscle stability so they've got dynamic stability that means that that hip when being used or not used but when being used the muscles work in a nicely coordinated fashion to compress that hip in the socket so it's not having abnormal movement because it's the abnormal movement that's going to drive the inflammatory change which is going to drive the OA so mm-hmm. you yeah it's keep it simple it's perfect what you just said yeah and I think because with Dodge, I mean, the, the best way to kind of describe his his situation is a saucer with a knobbly mushroom sitting kind of on it. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's not the prettiest. You know, the ball joint does have the arthritic changes. And that was the thing that kind of really surprised me because I was like, but he's two. Yeah. I didn't understand that dogs under the age of eight could have arthritis. Yeah. And most people don't. Yeah, you know, I, I, mean, I went to, I'm really quite, 10 years and I had no idea. <laughs> no, and I think that, I think a lot of vets don't, I think I didn't, I think I was really of the mindset that you'd have an occasional osteoarthritic dog under the age of five, but the majority would be eight to 10. Mm-hmm. And, you know, 
it was a massive dawning on me, even with university training, holy cow. But we've got to remember where osteoarthritis in dogs come from, and it's predominantly developmental joint disease, which means conditions such as elbow dysplasia, also better known as elbow developmental disease, mm-hmm. and osteochondrosis, hip dysplasia, these things lead to arthritis. And it isn't that they have hip dysplasia when they're younger and then everything goes dormant and quiet until they're 10 and then it's suddenly hip away. It's the developing process, which the dogs are learning to live with and therefore we don't easily observe. Um, so yeah, I think it is a big surprise to people that it's a dog, young dog disease. And I was, at, um, I was actually up in London only last week with a drug company that um, they bring together people that are either key opinion leaders, academics, or people that have got a lot of interest there to brainstorm and a brainstorming session of how can we really educate the public that arthritis in animals, in dogs specifically, is not an old dog disease, it's a young dog disease. And if we can, then we can get them to put those lifestyle changes in place early that can completely change the course of that disease process. You know, so it's, it's, how do we get the message out because people just podcasts there's a lot of denial yeah it's hard isn't it it is really hard to know how to kind of spread the good word because I mean I'm sure you're the same there are times with certain subjects and certain things you feel like you're just constantly preaching to the choir yeah no I do and I, I, I do have I think I'm quite lucky in that I was born with the gullible gene and the see it from both sides gene. I think some people don't have the gullible and see it from both sides gene. So I can see that the many reasons that lead to the lack of acceptance that OA is a problem in in younger dogs. Mm -hmm. I can totally feel for that owner that really doesn't want to see that there is a problem because they've got a whole 10 years ahead of them of hiking and biking and doing crazy shit. Got some person telling me, you know, you've got to change your lifestyle. You've got to allowed to do that. That's not going to be good for your dog. God, it's not that bad. It can't be that bad. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's tough. We'll get there. It's improving. Like, look at you shouting about it. Love it. <laughs> but I mean, you know, when I, I can still remember sitting outside the vets and like him coming out with the x-ray results and me just crying a lot. I think I cried for about three days. I was like, oh, my God. And then, you know, I'm very. Well, what was it? Think about what what was it underneath that emotional response? Try and think of what things created you to feel so sad. What did you. So for me, um Part of it was like, oh my God, my dog's hurting. Has yeah. he been in pain this whole time? Yeah. Part of it, being really honest, and this this is a selfish response, but this is me being completely honest, was shit, if I just lost my sport dog. Yeah. Is he going to be able to carry on doing sport? You know, he's only just started. We're a year into competition. And does this mean he's going to be career over and we can't do it anymore? Yeah. And being realistic, if it had been a different sport, that could have been a possible yeah. thing. I'm very fortunate that it wasn't. Um, I think also the fact that I I was kind of prepared for it because actually it was his physio that had pushed for the x-rays and it was his physio that had gone, right, I definitely want this dog x-rayed. There is something not right with these hips. And I kind of, I was very fortunate that I had a really good support team around me of 
not only friends, but also professionals and also, you know, very experienced trainers that are dealt with it. My vet was very good. His physio was very good. Um, she does hydro with him as well. My husband was a bit like, oh, does this mean we need to get a new dog now? <laughs> he did. He was like, oh, God, does this mean we've got to get And I was like, no, no, we need to see the specialist and find out. And I think it was just that kind of, does this mean that my boy's broken and he's not going to live a full, long, happy life because he's still a baby. And I think getting that, when you got when I got the diagnosis with Tizer, he would have been... 13, 14, yeah. I was kind of prepared for it. And it was sort of just adding to the list of heart murmurs and everything else that was going wrong at the time. With Dodge, because he was so young, I was literally like, oh, is he broken? That's yeah. how I felt, you know. And that's really interesting because um, we've been, Cam has been trying to work out how we can do things differently and really kind of push through with our mission, which is raising awareness early identification greater understanding so people can make some really good decisions about their multimodal management plan um which we'll come to in a bit and one of the things that i kind of had noted is that the way that vets are taught we're very taught black and white we're very taught clinical and it's not very emotional mm. the people that are coming in were emotional yeah they were finding it difficult they were having the rug pulled from underneath them and so therefore, if you look at any of the CAM resources, we, um, we have a couple of diagrams that we use a lot. And one's called the expectation pyramid. And it's 10 cubes, so four, three, two, and one. And at the top of this expectation pyramid that we work through with our owners, so start off with earlier identification, getting a diagnosis, learning to manage your expectations because it's a lifelong condition with acute flares, um, working with your vet and understanding the legalities of prescription and diagnosis. Pain control is central to everything we do. Weight control is an absolute no-brainer. Mm. Lifestyle and home modification. Supplements play their role, as do complementary therapies. But at the top of your pyramid is rebuild. And people are like, I don't know what that means. I'm like, it's to rebuild what you're going to now do with your dog. And in your case, you were able to continue on a modified plan similar to the plan that you had but for some people their plan has to change completely direction so if you've got a gun dog that's got severe hip dysplasia that dog may not be able to fulfill that role so we need to inspire owners and comfort them that they can still have a freaking great life yeah. in a different direction yeah other phrase is arthritis isn't the end of the road it's just the start of a new direction because it's it's we do it with ourselves you know if i am um, if i got diagnosed with diabetes tomorrow i wouldn't give up i wouldn't put myself to sleep i just realized i've got to change my life things mm. if i got you know diagnosed with hypothyroidism i just have to accept i've got to take pills for the rest of my life there's things that we do and we're like oh well it's 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 that's how it is in human medicine but in animals people kind of go oh my god i'm like i, I think i know what i'm trying to say but, no uh, i think the thing is we it's my favorite word at the moment, but we catastrophize. Mm. Like straight away we go, oh my God, this is the worst thing ever. Oh, fucking hell, it's a thing. Oh. And it's like, well, no, calm down. I was yeah. very fortunate that I had it. One thing that was actually amazing just after the diagnosis, um, I was actually at a big hoops competition and my vet was like, this could be the last competition. So go have fun, enjoy, and then you need to see a specialist. 
And what I found out that day was 10 other dogs that I've been competing with for months all had HD, all mm. had arthritis. I had no idea of this. One of them actually has HD and DD and arthritis, bless him. And you wouldn't know it. Yes, there's days where they might look a little bit stiffer. Yes, there's days where they need to be warmed up a little bit more, cooled off more. You know, we're more mindful of that. But it was kind of once people like knew that I was also going through it, they were so lovely and so supportive. And that helped massively. And I love the fact that you guys kind of explained to people, it's not the end because that is your first thought. You do. You catastrophize it straight away and go, oh, that's it. They're broken. But they're not. No. They're just a bit wonky. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can remember. Um, And this is one of the things I think really intimidates vets. I had a 12-week-old puppy on my table. I was doing a second vaccine. And I moved its legs and they went clunk. I was like, puppy's got bad hips. You know, they're, they're loose enough that they're popping out, even just with gentle manipulation. The lady went mental (laughs) she went off the Richter scale or because there's a real belief that when you buy something it's it's going to be perfect (laughs) it only ages and breaks with time but the the truth is you know the same with human beings people get born with problems you know people have problems in their childhood and we have to learn to live with them you know we see it all the time don't we yeah for some reason, is it to do with purchase? I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of quite into human psychology of what drives these, these responses. And is it because money has exchanged hands and you've bought a, a utility that's going to become your best mate? But... And the cost of puppies since the last yeah. few years as well. You know, when you've just spent four grand on a puppy to find out it's wonky. Mm. But isn't it weird how how our best friends, this living being, this thing that is a fur child to many of us, it sits on this fence of it being a utility, of being a purchase, of being, and the the cogs in the brain around this one. I've got, um, I push the limits quite a lot when I lecture. I um, (laughs) am, because otherwise it's just boring, isn't it? So I have called batshit crazy cemented behaviours, BCCBs. And um, yes. But I put them into my uh, my lectures and I will just stop and there'll be a slide with a batshit crazy cemented behavior of things that we do. And have we ever stopped to think how freaking stupid they are? So one of them is when does your dog become the old four called Tina? You know, so you, you get to an, a point where people suddenly decide it's not worth the investment. Mm. And I struggle with this because it's. Yes people some people it might be a dog that could potentially get to 14 but it hits seven and they're like oh no he's old now so I'm I really don't feel that I'm gonna I'm gonna you know spend that outlay and others it will be 13 and a half you know um some people will keep going until to the actual you know Mm -hmm. but there's there's these these points where human behavior this this whole difference between it being your fur child and a utility when does it go from being your fur child to the car that's not really worth investing on new tires anymore? I'm just going to... Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I actually find it interesting, you know, and, and I think I've, I mean, again, probably because I'm super crazy dog lady and surround myself by with lots of other super crazy dog people. 
I the majority I would say of people I know that are kind of within my circle are very much there the dogs are getting older we need to do a bit more with them they need their comfy beds and they can sleep on the sofa as long as they want and they're still getting the good food but people that maybe are not within that circle that are kind of on the edges of it I do hear things like oh well you know they're getting old now and like oh so we're just not walking them so much or you know my girls don't like going for walks every day now I kind of let them choose if if it's a really cold wet day I'm not going to make them go outside in the cold and wet especially the chihuahuas they will kill me in my sleep but you kind of think is it that you've just gone oh well they're old now so kind of new and especially the one that I used to find really hard when I was kind of doing more pet dog training would be they'd have a dog that was generally age 12 and up and they'd got a puppy in and the old dog was really struggling with the puppy and the puppy was was just being a puppy but it was a boisterous little shit and then they're getting upset and angry that the old dog's trying to bite the puppy and basically naming it and I'm like okay first of all has the old dog like been checked recently Oh, they went to the vet for their vaccinations, right? But how have they been checked for pain? Have you spoken to your vet about doing, you know, like a like a pain med trial to oh see? Oh my god, it? I love you. I think you're amazing. <laughs> this this is what trainers, but this is the news trainers should be doing. Um, I'm gonna touch on it briefly, and I don't like giving him any bloody airtime, but the twat in the cravat on the telly. Oh, I the, don't watch TV. Uh so there was a, a TV dog program I've refused to use the word training because it wasn't there was a very old very overweight um gun dog breed um that apparently was being spoiled and naughty because she didn't want to get off the sofa what I saw was a dog in pain that didn't want to get off the sofa because it was about to get on a slippery floor and the dog was really sore and really uncomfortable. Mm. And these labels were being thrown at this dog that it was naughty and sport. And all I was seeing was a dog that was fucking hurting. Mm. And I try not to, I'm very mindful not to kind of put other, other pet professionals down because it is unprofessional. But when you are telling people that a dog is being naughty, when it's not, it's hurting, that's not okay it's not a fucking thing and we need to be doing better so yeah, me, I, I, I'm, I'm not a dog trainer I'm not a behaviorist and I, I really know when to pipe down mm. do you have a solid belief that I don't meet bad dogs I never meet bad dogs and I don't meet lazy dogs I meet dogs that are saying to me I'm not feeling too good can you help me out thank you so, vet I said this. This is a thing, people. This is an actual vet that said this. Us trained oh, yeah. No, 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 no. But then, like, I'm I'm single and I've got a dog. <laughs> There's a really massive reason for that, isn't there? Hey, babe, you know, I'm, I just, I'm married and have four, so you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just you. I I don't meet bad dogs. They're not bad. There's always a reason. Yes, exactly that. Like this whole the, well, they bit for no reason. No, they bit with no warning. No, they bloody warned you. But the fact is. They've probably had all those warnings punished so much that they've stopped fucking warning you. Mm. You took, to quote Dr. Dunbar, you took the batteries out of your smoke alarm and all of a sudden there was a bloody fire. Because when we suppress behaviour, when we stop dogs from doing what dogs do, one of my favourite, favourite sayings that I've stolen, and please steal it and share it with the world, a growl is a favour, not an insult. 
<gasps> I love that even more. But I'm just going to when you say when we suppress behaviors, suppression mm-hmm. can be really passive. We just mm-hmm. suppress them. It's not we're suppressing them because there's a lot of owners that will say to me, "But I didn't do anything wrong," and I'm like, "No, you didn't. But you didn't. You didn't hear." Exactly that. You know, when you've got dogs that all the time you sit on public, oh, the puppy doesn't want to walk. Oh, they're being stubborn. No, they've got growing pains and they're mm. overwhelmed and they don't want to walk that day. Mm. Just sit down on a wall with your puppy and let it watch the world. Mm. That's cool. That's fine. You know, people don't understand how much pain affects behavior. And obviously oh, yeah. I'm, coming, I'm coming from this from the training behavior point of view. I can honestly say that since we've now got Dodge on the correct pain meds and we are now consistently kind of with his medicines and it's a monthly injection and I'm not going to mention the name because I know it's some people are still finding the medication really controversial and you need to speak to your vet and do what is right for your dog. The medication we found is working for him. His reactivity, his big emotions have gone down 80% since we have been on the correct pain medication and that's another I think we should kind of go a little bit more clinical now and just give people some gifts I know it sounds dark but in when you do any kind of lecturing and stuff you try mm. gifts and um I, I want to kind of like let's try and get 10 gifts in here first of all pain is not like a light switch it's not like turning the bathroom light on it's complex so there isn't a set path for each animal and for many years we've just put them on a non-steroidal and left beef like you know it could be two years it might be 10 years that they're on a daily medication now don't get me wrong I love non-steroidals I love them I think they have been one of the game changers for pain management and welfare they Mm -hmm. weren't around when I qualified there was only two when I qualified Metacam and Rimadil and Mm -hmm got an array a selection of available interventions um but there is this kind of oh anti-inflammatory put it on that's all you need to do no pain is way more complex than that Mm -hmm. requires pharmaceutical as well as therapeutic as well as lifestyle change to really and cognitive um, input you know Mm -hmm. and understanding to really have an influence on pain um so that's gift number one what what other gifts can we kind of chuck in there Where, where should we go from here i'm oh I think for me, like I do want to touch on supplements a little bit because I think supplements are one of those things that not every supplement is going to work for every dog. The same as not every pain med is going to work for every dog. It's all mm. different. And I think it's it's finding what works for your dog also within your budget. Because I mean, honestly, my <laughs> we have a, a drawer unit in the kitchen that has the dog food in it and the supplements and when I condense it all out, it, it literally looks like a drug factory in my supplements drawer because there are so many different things. And I've gone down the herbal route as well as kind of the more clinically proven route as well as drugs. Now, there are people that are like, well, supplements don't work. And then there are people that swear by only supplements and never using any, you know, naysayers and stuff. And I just think that people need to work work with their vet and work out what works for their dog. Okay, so I'm going to give a number of gifts here. First of all, let's look at the disease in hand. Mm-hmm. 
is an acute on chronic condition, which means that you have a chronic background disease, which causes just a slowly um, progressive loss of function, loss, like increasing pain. And that's background. And that's what people see as their dog slowing down, getting old, etc. But they come to the vet when they have an acute flare, so a sudden deterioration in pain state, which can last anywhere from you know, three days up to 14 days. Mm-hmm. They generally go back down to baseline, back to their chronic, slowly progressive condition. So it's called acute on chronic. Um, and the problem is that makes it a really, really difficult disease to manage because a lot of people don't realize that when their dog deteriorates, they implement a new intervention be it a complementary therapy, be it uh, LED light therapy handheld tool that they bought off Amazon, be it a new supplement, be it whatever. Well, actually the dog was going to improve anyway. And you've coincided your intervention on a natural pathway of back to baseline. It's called regression to the mean. It's a a scientifically well understood um, principle. So there is a lot of stuff out there that we purchase and we implement into our management strategies and we will have strong beliefs that they work Mm -hmm. but our scientific studies n equals one there's one dog in our study there's one situation with huge amount of variables and this regression to the mean if you look at a clinical trial for a human product going to market it's going to have thousands and thousands of um attendees and they have variables controlled so when you look at things that have scientific you know evidence-based background they're tested very differently yeah but we do we do need to bear that in mind my little gift from that is there is a lot we don't know to Mm. be and i have a really strong belief that you know things change glucosamine many years ago was believed to to be the next cure Yeah. yeah read a book recently arthritis new cure and it was glucosamine but we now know it doesn't have the impact that we thought it has mm-hmm. you know there's very little evidence to suggest it does what people felt it could do so the world is always changing if you got that as your your understanding that what we know now might not be what we know in a year mm-hmm. how can you do the best for your dog well understand how the disease is it's acute and chronic and have objective monitoring in place so that you can objectively monitor whether an intervention that you start is having benefit. Mm-hmm. Um, so what does objective, semi-objective monitoring look like? Let me describe it to you. It can either be a questionnaire such as Liverpool Osteoarthritis and Dog Study. It's free of charge, download it off the internet. And you will be able to answer questions. It gives you a score at the end of about, I think it's out of 52. And you can kind of quite in the cold light of day quantify where you're at and you can follow the figure you can use the canine brief pain inventory and again that gives you a score um i can't remember i think it's about 30 if you send me the links for those i can put them in the show notes so people can find them them in the notes so if that's how your brain works that they're two very useful ways there's there's a few more or you can do something called client specific outcome measures where you look at things that are unique to your dog that you've seen deteriorate as the, 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 the disease has arrived and it's progressed. So my dog, um, Holly, she had a number of conditions. If her ears were back, it was a bad day. So forward, they're a good day. If she used the whites of her eyes, so she was quite whale-like because she mm-hmm. couldn't fix 
So she was looking with the whites of her eyes showing. Then that was a bad day. If she was turning with her neck, that was a good day. If she had an arch to her back, it was a bad day. If she had a flat back, good day. If she had a tail dropped and vertical, that was a bad day. But if the tail was up, it was a good day. If she whisked with her back legs, so she circumducted, bad day. If she strided out, good day. So I had these in my head and I could very quickly go we're on a good day or we're on a bad day or we may be in a marginal day mm -hmm. looking that over time so say you started a new fandangled supplement you know it's just come out it's on amazon it's got a proprietary blend which by the way means we're not going to tell you what's in here um <laughs> that you want on it and you're like this is there, this is yeah, and they've suddenly locked you into a six-month subscription because you were really compelled because you were upset at eleven o'clock at night watching your dog struggle. So you suddenly find yourself in a six-month subscription, eighty dollars a month to something that they're not even going to tell you what's in it. Good luck with that. Um, <laughs> sorry, I'm really facetious, aren't I? No, uh, I love it though, and it's true because one of the things I'm always very, you know, I I want to know if it's been recommended to me by a professional, but also what are the ingredients? I'm like that about dog food, everything. Like if it's it's not just what is the ingredients, it's how much, and is that clinically yes. actually proven to be of clinical benefit? Yes, you know, a lot of supplements you'll see a fit, it's got green lip muscle in it. How much? Oh, it's not. It wouldn't even tickle a fairy. Just <laughs> got in there. No not going to do anything I'm stealing that all day no, it's just it's just it's mind-numbing marketing is that it's going to yes. destroy us anyway so you've got this supplement and you're thinking to yourself right let's be fair supplements are supplements if they were actually medication they'd be called medication a, a supplementing a plan mm -hmm. a lot of them you're going to be looking at improvement over a three-month period so you've got mm -hmm. three months of watching whether your dog's parameters stay improved you have less acute flares they're they're good more than they are bad and mm -hmm. they're improving because as it builds in the system and it sustains you and it prevents you having the flares and the flares are a shorter duration and then less severe that's what you're looking for because don't trust starting a supplement and three days later the supplement having kicked in it's not that's the dog just going back to baseline because yeah to the meat makes sense yeah yeah massively okay so that's that's another massive gift there don't get suckered into it don't get into subscription plans either um uh, so where, 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 <laughs> okay. it is true though isn't it and when especially the the other thing um i actually did um a facebook post yesterday you know we we'd had a very um successful uh weekend competing and I kind of sort of had a little reflection back on where we are and where we've come in the journey, because obviously adolescent, hormonal, emotional, in pain, German Shepherd was really good fun for about two years. Yay. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> you can imagine. And actually, I kind of sat back yesterday and when we were at an agility competition with nine agility rings running next to the Hoopers ring and... He was chill and he worked. And not only did he work, but he worked to the point where we won some classes, which is amazing. Really? Is part of that down to his hormones sorting themselves out? Yes. Is part of it because we've got the pain medication sorted? Yes. Is part of it because I feel we've got the right place in our supplements? Probably yes. Is it also that we're both just calmer in that situation because we've been doing it a while now? Yes, it's never just one thing. It mm -hmm. has to be a collaboration of things like 
Has he had enough sleep? Mm -hmm. Has he eaten the right amount today? You know, did I remember to give him his fat bomb at lunchtime? So he had a bit of extra energy for his last two runs of the day. Also the temperatures, all of these things are all kind of going to affect how your dog is feeling. You know, I know with the girls, when it's a lovely sunny day, they all want to be outside in the garden. When it's freezing cold and raining, they want to be on the sofa curled up with blankies. Yeah. Don't we all? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then that's the thing is, I think people have to really realise that this is a very complex disease to manage. Any, As I've done CAM, I've realised that there's so many decisions to be made in life that are very influenced by marketing. Yeah. I was driving behind a bus the other day and it was about vitamins for men. And I was like, do they really need them? No, if they're on a really balanced diet, do we? There's the vitamins for fatigue. Yeah, okay. We all sucker in for a quick fix. And yes. I'd be much more of, it's the long-term game. It's the management plan it's the weight control it's it's learning to read your dog and potentially even not put them in positions that they don't want to be in, you know and yeah I've, I've become just a um dog advocate rather than a, a human <laughs> yeah, but this is the thing as well and you know I mean I'm I'm a big kind of fan of of the yellow dog club and you know mm. um we've been my anxious dog and what one of the things that a lot of people think is straight away it's aggression. I I can honestly say in my career training, I've met one, maybe two dogs that actually were aggressive because they found it fun and aggression was reinforcing. All mm-hmm. the others it's been because they've been scared or they've been hurting or there's something else going on with that dog medically. You know, it might not be pain, but it might be. I remember one little dog I trained. It was a lovely little thing. It was a little Sheltie. And he just wasn't quite a Sheltie. Do you know what mm. I mean? He wasn't super fizzy and all the rest of it. And actually, he passed away at the age of six. One of his kidneys wasn't formed properly. Mm. We didn't know any of that. But there was always something about him. I was like, but he's just not right. And I could never put my finger on it. And it turned out that actually it was a really serious medical condition, you know, but the amount of times I would go to visit clients and I mean, now I would do it completely differently. I I don't do much kind of pet dog stuff now, but I know friends that are still trainers and especially the friends that do behavior work on the form. They asked, when was the, when was the dog last checked over by the vets? Have they had a blood test recently? Because a change in behavior often coincides with the dog is hurting. And when we think that arthritis is seen as an old dog problem, um, so I call them twat sticks. I know that you also are not a fan of the bull chucker. Oh, no. no, but when you find out that the dog from the age of sometimes five, six months old has been playing with a bull chucker and now they're two and a half and now all of a sudden they're snappy with people. I'm like, because it's probably a little bit broken. Broken and also just permanently neuronally wired. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm not a fan. I think that was one of the cam posts that went wild is that I found you and I saw. Oh, I shared it on my group and my page and my private page and my insta like i was spreading that word <laughs> oh i just hate them i hate them because 
I say this probably about three times a day to owners that come to see me at the vets. And I'm like, it, you think you're having fun with your dog, but you're not with your dog. They're not with you. And it's the most distant thing you could do with your dog because they go into a brain swamp of arousal. Yeah. It's far away from you. They're not actually loving you. They just go, like a ball! and I'm like, that's not spending time with your dog as far as I'm concerned it's literally purple minions they're yeah. just, just crazy little purple minions that are like throw the ball, throw the ball, throw the ball. my yeah. terrier was obsessive with the ball to the point where unfortunately the last two years of his life we had to remove them because if we allowed him to play with the ball he was then lame for a few days afterwards. But doesn't that remind you? Okay, okay. again, another thing that I'm really naughty about doing. I, I say to people, okay, so if, you're, if your son got an addiction, yeah, Coke, heroin, whatever it is, mm. and he started going, give me your handbag, give me a handbag, give me a handbag, would you think that that was a problem? I would. And that's exactly what I see. I just don't, I don't see happiness. I yeah. see frustration and I see anxiety and I, I just see dogs that are really lost so I, I don't like them I just um I recently did an episode with um Scott um over from America and we were talking all about dopamine right and how the dog's brain is just going oh my god oh my god and then a crash and then oh my god oh my god and then a crash you know yeah I'm I don't get I don't fully understand all the science of brain chemicals and stuff but my my little bit of understanding understands that dodge's cortisol levels need to be kept lower and i'm careful with how much dopamine he's getting and i'm careful with his adrenaline because it turns into a cocktail of this dog that has really big emotions that at 30 or kilos is a bit of a lump to be attached to when he's having these big emotions yeah no and i agree because i don't understand you know I've, I've, I've got a lot to learn but i think there's Again, a bit like translating from common sense mm-hmm. flaws. You also, I just feel that this is a common sense area that I think people, I, I've thought about it a lot. I do think it is human nature. Like if you go on YouTube and you're scanning through, you're drawn to videos that are extreme, you know, yes. extreme dance moves, extreme vocalists people that are at the best of their best and they perform to a degree that you just don't think is imaginable you know yeah. runners you know um, hurdlers you know people that jump high heights it's all yeah wow aren't they amazing and then I think we often take that into other areas of life in similar veins and that dog running fast and jumping high and catching that ball you know it's we always like to see real extremes mm-hmm. in our human nature yeah so I'm just I just wonder why people do it I don't I don't know I think people there is a belief that you're tiring your dog out physically um but if you were to take time and think okay so how can you also tire yourself out you can go for a nice gentle walk you don't none of us I think a very few what 0.0001% of people keep sprinting to the end of the road back 50 times to wear themselves out each day is that what we do I don't I don't know many people that do that no it's just weird it's not a thing it's It's just not a thing but I can I can always remember I went to um a consult one day and and the dog was wired and they were like we just can't wear it out it's crazy they were playing ball up and down the stairs yeah right so first of all one of the reasons why I've I've kind of 
moved to what I train and how I train and and the, the clients I have is because my poker face is shit okay and when someone comes out with something like that I used to be able to go oh okay so you know that's probably not ideal why don't we look at doing you know scent work or something like that or you know if you want your dog to run why don't you like maybe go running with your dog rather than ball throwing and stuff now I would literally be like are you fucking serious like I just I can't I've got no filter anymore because I'm just it hurts me but the problem is people only know what they know yeah yeah this is why I do this podcast because to me, this is my little way of, even if I, if I give one person the information that helps them change what they're doing with their dog, then tick, I've, I've done my job. If I've helped one person in yeah. their journey with their dog, then tick, I've done my job. You know, if I can hundred, a thousand, a million, amazing, but it's creating these ripples. And unless we try and create ripples, nothing's ever going to change and people aren't going to understand. No, and I think I've learned over the years that it is peer-to-peer advice that seems to hold stronger now. So um, long one of the days that people come to vets for vet advice, unfortunately, mm-hmm. you know, I really struggle with owners seeking advice from other professionals or non-professionals or Google or Facebook oh, forum. You start me on Dr. Google yeah you can find everyone on dr google it's called cognitive bias you know confirmation mm-hmm. bias you go there to find what you already wanted to find yes but, exactly that so i then started finding it really frustrating and there was a real lot of antagonism talking about it in the vet industry or why do they do it and being bitter and a bit twisted that we've done you know countless years training to get to where we've got and people aren't willing to listen and i was like well ain't going to change so let's let's use Mabel by the Poobin let's use the peers the people that have influence so um yeah we're we're trying to get people to to listen to their friends who Mm -hmm. this that's one of Cam's strategies is making sure that the information we put out is in a format that can be disseminated peer-to-peer yes how we should hopefully influence change and another thing I, I want people to be really aware of is our own human weaknesses let's go back to dopamine we get a massive dopamine kick when we buy something yeah we're, we're all into it and even if you're a bit like me if i buy a new paddleboard oh my god oh, i'd never buy new actually i'd only buy second but it still gives me a buzz to have yeah. a new toy um i can honestly say dog care shouldn't be costly you know i sorry luna i i don't spend money on luna we we have the most amazing life cost free Mm. it's about taking a little bit of a food out and spending time doing hide and seek it's it's about her being with me when I go to the hairdressers or go to the pub it's about sitting next to each other on the sofa and all of these things and um yeah really I, I honestly believe really good care in the true holistic fashion shouldn't be costly because it, it should it isn't so if you're if you're spending money on this that the other stop think you know is that fair? You actually need it. Like, yeah. does Dodge actually need 15 different tuggy toys of varying lengths and elasticity? And admittedly, like, if there's a unicorn involved, then of course we need it as a partnership. You need a unicorn in your life. <laughs> Obviously. But, you know, it's true. And for us, you know, us 
he would quite happily rag on a tea towel with me and have just as much fun as the fancy new toy with the unicorn. It's just mama wanted the one with the unicorn on it. But it is true, isn't it? It's just being with your dog and spending time with your dog. And this is going back to the whole ball chucking thing. You have a really good point of you are literally sending your dog as far away from you as physically possible. And because your right. arm couldn't throw the ball far enough, you've bought an extension to throw it even further, which is just nuts, you know. It is nuts. Like I get, I was um I was walking this morning with Luna and I love it when I just go, Luna, Luna, are you beautiful? And she looks up to me and she has to be near me for me to look at her and go, Oh, you are beautiful, aren't you? Oh, we went swimming together this morning. I swim every day in the sea. And um it's just warm enough now for her to swim with me because she's sensible I'm not. And um I live in a place called Bude and there's this bay and so we swam out into oh. the bay it was she was swimming alongside me by about five ten minutes just swimming around together and then come back and that you know I just love being with her and the idea of permanently <laughs> sending her 400 meters away yeah. just I don't get it <laughs> I just want to touch on a little thing you said there because one thing I did find really interesting um when Dodge had the diagnosis I'd been taking him kind of free swimming just in like a little pool not a proper hydro pool it's just one of those pools you hire and he could jump off the side and splash and cause as much mess stress and destruction as possible and at the moment we're not doing that because when he's splashing off the side and swimming all over the place his legs are going everywhere it's not ideal for him yes hydro treadmill is the way forward for him and that's what we're doing but a lot of people you hear and again this is that kind of peer that peer advice isn't it oh take them swimming it's really good for them yeah okay so <laughs> this is such an interesting topic mm. <laughs> so it's the same with everything in life though isn't this isn't just about dogs it'd be like you being in the supermarket and someone saying oh buy that gravy it's the best you know is it yeah or go and get that tree it's going to be perfect for shade you know like, is it you haven't put it in my garden in my sunlit it by my wall by my lawn with my bad gardening skills you know so it's kind of like one of these things where humans again love to be correct we like to give advice we really and middle-aged women are probably the worst for wanting oh, to I know I've, I think I think white men are also pretty close. <laughs> Just saying, I, I feel I feel there's a close there's a close there's race between middle aged women and just white male privilege. Also, I think they're quite close. Any of the men listening, tough. It's a thing. Um, but it's true. It's, it's a human. It's a human thing to want to help. I yeah, think. of course it is. And I think that then blends into people giving advice, and for advice to be acknowledged, it's got to be given with confidence. Um, and giving confidence means it's quite a strong opinion. Yeah. Um, so just bear all this in mind that and remember we... guys everyone has an opinion they also have an arsehole it's a fact <laughs> true <laughs> so swimming yes swimming in the right environment for the right condition in the right individual with the right care can be very useful but it could also be a disaster so you could take a dog and completely decompensate them by encouraging them to swim mm-hmm so it is a discussion to have either with your vet and I'm going to be fair a lot of vets have no rehab training whatsoever Mm -hmm. um I think a really really good investment in looking after any dog would be to have a check-in with a physio every now and then about 35 45 quid Mm -hmm. 
uh, they'll do a full musculoskeletal assessment and they'll be able to be really honest with you. And then there's cause and effect. You know, you could put a dog that you think is going to cope very well with swimming in that situation and they come out and they're stiff for three days. And actually you can see that that really didn't suit them. Yeah. Um, so you've got to kind of really judge the individual. So I'll give you a case. My, my dog, Holly, had lumbosacral disease, um, cervical disc disease and other things going on, iliosoas problems and stuff. And theoretically, she would have been better in a treadmill because we could really sh you know, control the speed of yep. the mill. We could control the height of the water. We could really look through the glass and judge the moment it was too much. Yes. And she hated it. It was horrible. She'd arch her back. It was way. So we actually chose, because she liked water, to pop her in the swimming pool, which should have been terrible for her with the rotational forces on her, on her spine, etc. But we put flotation devices, etc. And we did straight line work. Mm. And as we brought in S-bends, it was too much. But straight line and then a gentle turn and straight line back with really gentle encouragement for using her back legs. She loved it. And that, that was just something that she really got something out of. So again, it's always used for the individual. That's that definitive rule. But also, like, so thinking kind of, you know, I know some of the listeners have gun dogs, you know, they love going in the water, water retreats. Generally, the gun dogs are working over the winter season where mm. the water is cold, people, okay? You need to make sure that your dog is warmed up before they're swimming in the cold water, but also how long they're in the cold water for. Because when you take your dog for hydro, the water is the correct temperature. <laughs> yeah, no, true. But also, let's put okay. I gave an example earlier about a dog, I had to do another podcast, a dog going downstairs and how it's pretty funny how we look at them wobble and clamber downstairs and go, yeah, they got the bottom print. If you put a child on a little pink bike and took off the stabilizers and took them at the top of the steps and let go, you would be done for negligence. You know, that is not cool. Now, if you took your grandma and put her in a nice pool and there was a steady gentle step so had good you know non-slip handrail it was you know gentle there's somebody at the side watching just in case anything went wrong it was warm and they could just take their time if you threw your grandma in the pool from a slippery sideline and she had to dodge all the inflatables and there was other people kicking off in there that ain't gonna work for her is it so i just kind of i love your analogies they're brilliant but it's just logic, isn't it? Like right. I had one owner who had a really, really debilitated spaniel. And I was up in Scotland at that point. And uh, she was like, swimming's really good for it, isn't it? I was like, swimming can be good. She was like, oh, I'll let him just go and run in the brick. And then um, this brick was um, slime-ridden stones. So the feet were slipping everywhere. Oh, Bank down into it. So the dog belly flopped in and had to scramble itself to get out. And she'd lob stones in there. Oh, helpful. Cool. Awesome. So you're also <laughs> yeah. adding projectiles that if they hit your dog, they're going to hurt. Awesome. Good plan. It was just so many things of this ain't working. And do you know why we do it? It's because dogs are so bloody beautiful. They don't complain. Exactly that. And the thing, and with you saying a spaniel, we know that spaniels will literally tear themselves to pieces going through brambles to get to the bird to pick it up because... 
that's what we've bred them to do. So if they're in the water and they're not comfortable, but the owner's going, go on, yeah, chase the stone, get the thing, oh my God. The dog's on this massive adrenaline surge. And then when they get home and they've warmed up a bit and they've kind of rested and they've had a little sleep and they get up and go, oh, shouldn't have done that. A few weeks, my cousin's 30th, first time I've been on a dance floor for literally two years, properly on a dance floor. Oh my God, the next day, I remember back in the day when you could go to a club and dance all night and your feet were fine and you, I was, my hips, my knees, my ankles, my feet. Oh my God, I felt like some ancient old lady. Yeah, yeah. I used to do, um, I didn't want to do it actually, I just got to find the time is these, um, how would it feel to try and get people to just flip their brain a little bit. But um, I used to film myself being what if I was a dog and there was one when I was walking down a slippery icy road and I filmed myself and all manner of things and um, I had a new physical trainer and they made me do things that I hadn't really done before and I was seriously sore for days and I thought I'll go for a swim because that's what people tell you to do put your dog in the pool you know in the pool yeah Yeah, I was going to drown I was going to drown I was just like this is agony so but it goes back to throwing somebody out a hot air balloon without a parachute there's some things that are really quite obvious well unfortunately Mavis at the poo bin told one person one time so apparently it's a thing yeah and I think that's what everybody's just got to be really cognizant that there's loads of good intention out there they're really you know the same as there's not very many well there's no bad dogs and there's very few bad people um but you've just got to kind of take bits of advice yeah put some thought into it is it yeah makes sense yeah uh, extrapolate a little bit from how you would feel you know musculoskeletally very similar uh, yeah. from there but i would definitely say you know the the vet industry's had a little bit of a, a tough time in the last few years you know there um i think it goes back to like a panorama kind of documentary about 15, 20 years ago about vet fees. And from there, it's been, it's been pretty tough. Uh-huh. And um, I just, I literally read an article just before we went and started this recording about over 50% of vets now are receiving online abuse on a regular basis, you know. Um, not okay. Not okay. And we've got a huge mental health concerns in our profession, like really bad, really bad suicide rate and stuff. And I, I know that some people have had bad experience with vets, but on the whole, they're pretty good eggs. So if you've got questions, do, do ask, you know? And if you've got questions about OA, then, then go to CAM. We've got, um, I do a blatant promotion now. Do it. Yeah, so because people learn in different ways and we've got drip feeding via social media, we've got YouTube where you can just flood yourself with hours and hours and hours of interviews with experts. We've got the website if you're a reader, so you could just drip in there, you know, get glasses on and lose yourself. So we've got all these different ways to learn. And I know that some people like quite structured learning and they like to come out having completed something. Otherwise you just feel that you're on an endless journey where there's rabbit hole after rabbit hole. Also courses. So there's an owner course called Cam Essentials, which is 12 modules, each are 20 minutes long. And it looks at everything from diagnosis, supplements, pain medication, therapeutic exercise, etc. 
There's the more um, comprehensive one called CAM Comprehensive, which you also get all our downloadable booklets. So they're, they're available. And it's just a way for you to get a complete overview, which is evidence-based, et cetera. Yeah. Um, we've also got the range of booklets. So there's 12, was it 15? I think it's 15 booklets for 9.99 that you can download from the shop. So you can just tuck in, you can buy them paperbacked and they're wow. full fancy finding around the house so that everybody in the house sings from the same song sheet <laughs> yep <laughs> email series that's free of charge so you can sign up you get 10 daily emails that takes you through the expectation pyramid there's a weight loss series so you can sign up to get weight off your dogs there's some um, five emails in that series there's the why don't you listen children's illustrated book to try and prevent um, dog bites um so that we amazing that that's that everybody with a child needs to be reading and listening because yeah it's a beautiful book eaten in this day and age but yeah i'll, I'll give you all the links i'll give you all the links there's a lot out there now so there really is no kind of and there's a course for professionals aren't there yeah so there's a course for professionals called cam advocate level one mm-hmm. if you're a really good overview we've got cam advocate level two and three planned it's just trying to find the time amazing yeah yeah it is, it's on my list it's on my right i need to do this course because for me training sports dogs these are things i should know because that is my specialist subject that is my niche but also as trainers you know i wish all trainers would get more involved in it because we know that pain and behavior are linked and understanding something as complex as arthritis and being able to explain it to our owners better and work alongside vets i'm so much i wish vets and trainers could just work together a little bit better it's I know it's difficult and it doesn't always work, but we we do need to be working alongside each other to help. We do, and I think there's a problem the where we've both got very strong opinions. That's the <laughs> and And to be honest, you know, I mean, I, I feel very strongly when I hear about vets giving out training advice that, to be honest, is fucking outdated. And mm-hmm. they're just, especially when they're giving out really bad science as well. I'm mm-hmm. like, I can give you the scientific papers about why what you've just said is completely wrong. Mm-hmm. Yet I wouldn't give out vet advice, but I can say to my vet, this is the regime I do with my own dogs, but you need to speak to your vet about what you're going to do with your dog, you know, when it comes to all sorts. Well, the Cam Advocate Level 1 course really gives um, people like trainers and, and behaviourists and etc. And even groomers, because they have the animals standing on tables for a long time. Yeah, but it's, it's, it's designed to give you guys the tools to know what you can really confidently talk about without stepping yeah. in and getting into trouble amazing exercise home management weight control all of these things you can tell people to be be wary of where they invest their money so that they invest it wisely there's mm-hmm. in that course that you'll be able to take into your your work and um you know really give um to to your to your clients to your owners so there's yeah there's that if you're if you're a veterinary professional listening there's um there's a course for vets it's pretty hardcore make sure it's really hard <laughs> and um, there's, a, there's, a, there's a course for nurses as well so um and we also do a whole practice training program so we can train reception vets and nurses so that they all sing from the same song sheet and they're all equally current um saying the same stuff you know which is really yeah. and and i think that's the thing isn't it? it is important that we are all keeping up to date with the science and science is progressing so much you know like 
now I know that I can confidently advise clients on when I think is a suitable time for their dogs to be spayed and neutered because we now have a big study where they took 35 different breeds and spent mm. 15 years actually studying what the effects were on when they were neutered whether they were or weren't neutered all of that I can now say some oh there's a paper so actually if you want to go and read for yourselves mm. this is some of the science you can use rather than just it being a blanket you know six months I'm personally I feel it should be 18 months to two years but that's my personal opinion and it's making sure that we're mindful of how we're wording things as well you know because it is very easy that there are going to be crossover bits because we're both talking animals but we just need to be mindful not to kind of be stepping into the other's territory as it were yeah yeah absolutely and I think we just have to be very aware of people's circumstances yes so i think we are definitely drifting away from early neutering i think there's a lot more evidence to suggest you know holding back and mm -hmm. is something that i'm i'm promoting but then i do understand if there's a situation where an owner's got other dogs in the household or they maybe have got um a circumstance in the house where actually having a dog that's going to be passing blood from their vulva for you know two weeks is it's just not going to be possible yeah not accommodate that twice a year and you you just have to kind of you've got to be kind people have got to be kind yes exactly that so i'm i'm very aware of the time and i don't want to keep you in your day um we were going to talk about the was it the management model you said well the multimodal management yeah there we go thank you let's, i was like i was like let's oh, add shit, some of the gifts the word she used <laughs> let's add some gifts so we've i think we've got eight gifts to go so Modal management means using multiple interventions concurrently and people immediately start thinking oh multiple drugs or multiple supplements or multiple no 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 <laughs> multiple um, actions at the same time so a classic one in first opinion practice would be you've got a labrador say it's eight years old it's been slowly slowing down it's still quite um, engaged he still wants to be greeted you can touch it all over he doesn't seem to be what we call centrally sensitized and more painful than you would expect for the condition in hand it's carrying a bit of weight um, and they've been throwing the ball so our multimodal management plan for that dog after diagnosis would be right let's start you on maybe an anti-inflammatory or a monoclonal antibody or a piprant not going to say trade names here mm -hmm. We're going to get a weight loss plan at 1% weight loss per week till we hitch target weight with a body condition score between four and five. We're going to say to you, let's roll the ball and throw the ball. And we're going to look at the flooring and we're going to get you back for a reassessment in four weeks. That's a multimodal plan. Um, another extreme might be a, a German Shepherd who has got severely subluxating hips. So they actually spend more time out the socket than they are. So they're always also proximal kind of subluxation. And we're saying to ourselves, well, this is surgical. So we're going to have a surgical intervention. The dog's 18 months, two years, so they're fully grown. So we're going to do a total head, um, total hip replacement on one side. We're going to put a um, strong pain relief protocol in place because the dog's got really sensitized about anybody going near its back end. So it doesn't like you to be touched. So we're going to be looking at an anti-inflammatory, whether an adjunct, maybe one or two medications. We've got an acute flare plan. So when we have sudden deteriorations, there might be paracetamol that we use intermittently. We're going to have a really strong physiotherapy plan. We can have rugs down. We can have support harness. We're going to definitely not do any high impact games. We're going to use heat sacks up its back 
and um, we might even chuck in a tens machine now that's another multimodal strategy for that animal so it basically is a way to try and say to people there is a recipe for your dog and the recipe is going to involve looking at maybe lifestyle home management weight diets and nutraceuticals pain management complementary therapy bring it all together what is your recipe so that's what we mean and people then go oh my god that sounds time consuming and financially consuming it, it, it's really not you know yeah. um being aware of your dog fatiguing on a walk and going well that was 15 minutes in tomorrow I'll walk seven minutes out and seven minutes back that is an intervention so yeah. that's part of your multimodal plan yeah, no, that makes sense. I just want to touch quickly on what you said about heat therapy because um, like with the heat bag. So um, I'm I'm very fortunate and I'm going to be very open about it. Dodge is sponsored by um, a company that has, it's basically like an electronic heat system. So he's got hip pads, he's got a back pad and there's also elbow pads. We don't use those. We tend to use the back and the hip pads. Yeah. But days we're competing, he has his breakfast and he has his heat pads on for normally about 10 15 minutes medium setting that seems to be the one he likes um and then he has his back on track coat put on which has the ceramic technologies to help keep all the muscles warm and then we travel to the show so we have the heat therapy before he has his back on track on also if it's not a warm day he has his coat on in between his runs to make sure yeah. his muscles aren't completely cooling down I kind of, until I was approached by the company with the heat therapy, it wasn't something I'd really thought about. I tried the laser stuff with him and bought the whole, when you were like, oh, the LED lacing. I was like, yeah, I've got one of those. I don't use it very often. For us, I don't feel like it's done a lot. Mm -hmm. And for some dogs that may, and you know, when he sees his physio, he has laser therapy with the physio. It's very different from my little handheld mm -hmm. clicky thing that I have to move around and yeah. The heat therapy, I think, for us really works. And as I say, I'm very fortunate to be sponsored by um, the company. So I'm being open about it because they did send me a product recently and I just went, I don't, it's not for us. It's not really working. So I'm not going to support something that I don't think works. But heat is one of those things, again, that doesn't have to cost loads, but actually can really help, can't it? Yeah, it's totally, totally. And joint mobilising, that doesn't cost anything. Sitting down, watching TV, your dog's you know, laying across your lap, they've got really restricted elbows, and you're just taking them through a range of motion. Keep, mm -hmm. keep that joint capsule loose. That doesn't cost very much money. Yeah. Matter of the neck from you know the atlas all the way down into the axilla, that's always going to be a compensation zone. That doesn't cost anything. Learning to skin roll doesn't cost anything. Learning to do you know, a passive stand or a three leg or just natural stabilization doesn't cost anything. Yeah. This is what it's, ah, there's so much that you can do that yeah. doesn't cost anything. So just be careful of your subscriptions, people. Yeah, no, massively, you know, and I mean, for us, like as I say the heat therapy work but actually also just doing the conditioning stuff things like him doing sit to stand down to stand but making sure that his feet are staying correct that he is moving fluidly that we are building the muscle and when he sits not every time obviously I don't make him sit square every single time he sits down but when we're doing little training sessions 
the sits are square so that he's yeah. working the muscles equally. When he's going from a down to a stand, he's literally levering up and levering back down again to yeah. work those muscles equally. People don't understand that little exercises like that help strengthen and maintain yeah. the muscles. Yeah, definitely. definitely. And you just need some cookies. Because I haven't done Luna's for ages. <laughs> like, Life's and if you so don't a weight plan, like, what, what did he have this Oh, he had his tablet in melon this morning. Yeah. Melon's not massively high calorie. I know there's a little bit of sugar in it, but, yeah. you know, carrots, cucumber, you can give your dog veggies. Yeah, 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 100%. You know, and... As I say, you know, look at the disease in a very multimodal plan. And if, say you've got little time, you can, you can tailor it to interventions that are not going to be so time um, greedy, but it might actually be somebody that's got plenty of time and you can use the other interventions. So the controlled exercise, the exercises that you do on a walk, you can sit at home with your, your balance pads and your little spiky head. There's... It's a disease that you can actually do so much for. Um, and I think what I'm hoping is that CAM changes people's impression of what it means to get a diagnosis. Yeah. It goes back to that phrase. It's not the end of the road. It's just the change of a new direction, start of a new direction. And um, yeah, use the CAM resources. Hopefully people will open their minds more because we know who, which pages people go to on the website. They go straight to the supplements, you know, and that's going <laughs> to dramatically um the, the need is but, there i will i will spend a lot more time on that but i think it's because again we have been told oh well have you tried this supplement because we know with our own health if we get told oh you know you you need to take your vitamins straight away you go and look at supplements people don't go oh i need to improve my diet and actually if i ate more vegetables and stuff i would get my vitamins and my fiber and stuff they go oh let's get a tablet and take that instead yeah yeah, but I think um, something to just stop, make people think is I did a poll in about 2019. Mm -hmm. Where do people spend their money? Because the vet profession was going through a little bit of a um, public backlash. Um, it hits the news every now and then how much vets earn, by the way. we uh, My brother works on it as a, a building site manager. He earns way more than me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So just put that all into context. Yeah, and I bet he does a shit ton less hours as well. We do do a lot of hours, indeed. So we did this poll. We asked people, where were you spending your money each month? And we want you to break it down. You know, vet fees, blood sampling, um, food, supplements, shoes, toys. And the amount of people that when they wrote it down went, oh, my life. I can't believe that I actually spend more on maybe the supplements that I'm buying on a regular basis than I actually do on the medication but we kind of gone oh well vets fees are so expensive and vets meds are so expensive but when they actually wrote it down and looked at the distribution of where money goes and um you know that that's just just a little thing I'm not saying it definitely is don't 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 berate me if you um if you're all very well balanced but uh, honestly do just write it all down and look where you're you're investing your money and then look at what's got more evidence of being beneficial and and choose wisely but also i think because um this is mainly to the uk listeners but in the uk because we have the national health service we don't necessarily pay for healthcare. i think some of the american listeners because they're used to paying for they need insurance and they pay for when they have things done it's not such a shock to them that when the vet bill comes out they're like oh okay well it's a medical bill 
because mm. a vet, and this is the thing I think people forget, it's a medical bill. And at the end of the day, I'm probably going to sound horrible, but owning a dog is a luxury, not a right. And mm. if you've got your dog, you need to be, you know, and everyone's on a different budget and people's circumstances change all the time. But making sure that your dog is covered, you know, whether it's you have a credit card or insurance, however you choose to do it, but you do need to be prepared that every now and again, the shit's going to hit the fan and you're going to have mm. a vet bill. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You'll be really lucky not to have a shit hit the van event. But we, in the same with our healthcare, you know, as we, as we get older, we things happen and we need to take um, take steps. But yeah, um, I had to, to get some solicitor advice a few years back and I couldn't believe it. Each letter cost me £1,500, you know. Mental, right? Yeah. And I'm You're writing a going, letter. <laughs> and I was like, going, Ooh, why do we get so much abuse? <laughs> and then people moan at the £15 fee to do the insurance claim form, right? Oh, I know. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I just, I, it, yeah, it makes me giggle a little. Yes, and I, I do think it is very squared. And just on behalf of, of me and to all the people that appreciate you, thank you for doing the amazing work you are doing because vets, vet nurses, vet techs, receptionist everyone in the veterinary industry at the moment is under so much pressure especially since the great choir and everyone went out and bought puppies especially puppies mm. that were really shitty bred and have loads of health problems <laughs> like it's it's just you know what? in the last guys like be kind last two weeks, in the last two weeks i've put two dogs to sleep um both french bulldogs that have lived a life of pain and that pain is just to them with spinal problems mm -hmm. and you sit there going wait a minute guys we really do need to stop there's been a, a very good article out again from vet compass looking at breed longevity it's worth the read it really really is oh i think some of that might have been published on social the other week actually about how flat face breeds their life expectancy is is dramatically less like it's not all about them being brachycephalic there's other health conditions that they have such as spinal deformities and um yeah it's heartbreaking it's yeah heartbreaking. yeah um i i did an episode with um jemima harrison from uh Cruffer and we i i do get on my soapbox a bit about badly bred dogs because it is one of those things that there's just there's no reason for it to be happening <laughs> apart from greed it's just human greed at the end of the day and it is greed but also wild. it's um we you know we really aesthetics as well there's a there's, you know i i've tested myself I've, i'm a border collie lover i always have been and um how would i feel when my next dog i just go for for a, you know run of the mill nothing special nothing and mm. you know it's, it's interesting humans are very interesting yeah you know i mean you know, you you watch Dodge running around a Hooper's course and you would have no idea of what's going on inside mm. that dog. You know, I mm. actually didn't want a German Shepherd. I was looking more Dutch herder because I'd said, oh, I don't want a German because they always have shit hips. And then guess what? <laughs> <laughs> he, he was he was an unplanned rehome. So these things happen. Um, yeah. But, you know, I was prepared that having that breed, I'd done my breed research and I knew that things were likely. Whereas 
you know, our old girl, she's a stuffy mix with stuff, not quite sure what. Um, we refer to her as a Hounslow hound. She's one of those like South London-y, bull-breedy type things. Yeah. Um, but touch wood, apart from kind of ailments, having a few lumps removed the last week has kind of been her first sort of medical intervention because yeah. being a mixture of whatever has meant that actually she's been really healthy. <laughs> well, yeah, I, th- I think um, for me, looking at them morphologically, you know, the, the bull breeds, we have massive problems, you know, just let's just be honest about it. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. It's, it's been, it's <laughs> been I think it goes back to let's just look at the obvious things in life. If you've got a dog that's got a very um, long back, it's likely to have back problems. If you've got a dog that's very straight for its stifles, it's probably going to have more strain on its cruciates. If you've got a dog that's got a flat face and no ear holes, it's going to have difficulty breathing and have ear problems. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of- you know, as a thought, <laughs> it might be a thing. Yeah, but the thing is, if you bought a house on stilts, four stilts, if one stilt's going to go, you fucked. You know, so, you know, <laughs> think about it. It Morphologically, what are you... We're back to your high air balloon jumping out issue. Up. Yeah. It is so true. Um, Hannah, I'm going to wrap it up here because I know you've yes. got a full, full plate ahead of you. And thank you so, so much for joining us. Um, I will get all the links in the show notes so people can go and find out. And honestly, guys... If you do get the diagnosis that your dog has joint problems, whether it's OA, whether it's hips, elbows, it's not the end of the world. They can still live a really good, happy, fulfilled and pain-free life. Mm-hmm. Thank cool. you. Amazing. Thanks so much, Hannah. So guys, until next time, um, remember, if you want to buy me a coffee, buymeacoffee.com forward slash hoopers. If you want to follow the dogs on social media, at Dodge Shepherd, at Minx Chihuahua, Canine Hoops World is on Facebook and Insta. And until the next episode, stay safe, be kind, wash your hands thoroughly, keep your dogs on lead around livestock and don't let them lick toads. Take care, guys. Bye. www.caninehooperswild.com Canine Hoopers World now has achievement awards online so anyone anywhere can test their teamwork and get one of our beautiful rosettes there's even one for puppies the website will tell you more about that and hoopers how to find an instructor we also offer online training there are beginners courses we offer online training in distance handling and there are instructor courses for dog trainers Join us on Facebook. We have a friendly international group and follow us on Instagram at Canine Hoopers World. Canine Hoopers World, everyone's invited.